Good morning and welcome to this hour of worship here at Memorial United Methodist Church. If you are visiting with us, we're just very delighted to have you here. Hope that you will be bold and brave and ask questions to some of these people because they don't know answers either as to where things are, but they might, together, y'all might be able to find your way around the church if you're visiting today. Now, we would love for you to stay and ask questions afterwards if you do have any questions about the ministry and work of the church. Uh, we'd be glad to spend some time with you and hope that you'll come back to worship with us often. Um, let me bring you up to date on some folks. By the way, we had about 50 here last Sunday in the snow. That was an interesting, uh, wasn't a bit of snow out there in the, in the parking lot. And so that was, that was finally the determining factor for me. It was no danger for getting out of the cars. So we had a good time, those of us that were able to come. The Bible studies at the church will resume next Sunday night with four opportunities uh, for you to learn more. Uh, and I believe there's some sign-ups at the back about these four Bible studies. First one is that Jimmy Fowler and Lynn Pennington will continue their Bible study that began last fall. Secondly, Eric Jeter will lead an exciting James McDonald Bible study entitled Downpour. Thirdly, Joy Hudson will lead us in a Bible study entitled First Place for Health, which is a Christ-centered study that is also a healthy, healthy living program. Probably don't let you go to the Waffle House if that's... But anyway, and fourth, uh, Mike Henson will be leading a short-term eight-week disciples Bible study uh, titled Invitation to Romans. So I want to call your attention to those. Uh, preschool Sunday School is in need of teachers, and we remind you of that need. Please see Katie if you can help. Uh, our monthly fellowship dinner is this coming Wednesday night, the 5th of January at 5.30. The menu is lasagna, bread, salad, and dessert, pizza for the kids, and activities for the children after dinner. And the programs for the children... Um, Sunday night programs do not resume tonight, but they do resume next uh, Sunday night at uh, 5.30, I believe it is. You'll be seeing more details coming to you this week and in next week's bulletin. Wilma Keller celebrated her 98th birthday yesterday, but she celebrated it in the hospital. She's out at Greer Hospital uh, recovering from probably uh, some little bit of heart trouble. Uh, Marsha Lee had some surgery this last week. Uh, Deanne Lewis has been out of town because her father, Richard Baker, died on Christmas morning. So Don and Deanne have been away and wanted you to be aware of that. And finally, let me say a word of thanks to you about the way you responded to our request for extra funds for our apportionments. Uh, the Finance Committee has got to meet and see just how close we are, but we are, uh, we're within field goal range of uh, scoring uh, on our apportionment. So that's, that's good news, and we trust we'll be able to find a way to uh, pay 100% again this year. Lots of other announcements are in your bulletin. Hope you have an opportunity to read them uh, in, in, uh, in some time in the future. And let us now begin our time together in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Be seated, please. This time we invite the children to come forward to join Margie Crowley for a few moments of sharing. Happy New Year to you. What does that mean? It's the beginning of the new year. What's the new year? Um, 2011. 2011, that's right. You know, we haven't seen each other up here since Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? Yes. Everybody? Yes. Did you get lots of neat stuff? Yes. I want to know your favorite thing that you got for Christmas. Computer. Um, Jesus's birth. Okay, that's wonderful. What did you get from Santa? Um, Your favorite. A purple snuggie. A purple snuggie. Clemson purple. Oh. <laughs> okay. My husband went to Clemson, so that's all right. A new family computer. New family computer. A zip line. A zip line. A zip line. Okay. But you didn't get a zip line, Arthur. No, no, no. I didn't either. Um, let me ask you this. Did anything, well, let me ask you this first. Has anything broken since Christmas? Are you tired of anything that you got? No, it's still good. That's wonderful. Did anything else happen on Christmas Day that was exciting? That's right, it was Jesus' birthday. Did anything happen other than Jesus' birth and it was Christmas and Santa came? I'm talking about last Saturday a week ago on Christmas Day. It snowed. It snowed, exactly right. Yeah, any of you play in the snow? Yes. Build a snowman or a snowwoman? Snow was too bad. We made a huge snowball, but that we made a snowball that was like about as tall as me. And then when we were trying, we oh, tell us what you did. he fighted with. It. They fighted with it. Fighted All with right. It. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just took the chunks and 
threw them at people. And you and, thought it was. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, you know, we get so excited around here when you have about an inch of snow, don't we? Because why do you think we get so excited over a little bit of snow? the 1960s, like 1968 or 65. It's snowed at Christmas, right? That's very good. Thank you for telling us that. Um, do you know there's a state out in the Midwest, South Dakota, and when they have cold weather, they have really, really, really cold, cold weather. Matter of fact, it doesn't just get in the teens there, it gets below zero. Now that's cold, isn't it? And did your mother tell you when you got ready to go out in the snow? Now be sure you put on that warm jacket and that cap and those gloves and that scarf and those boots. Did mother and daddy tell you to do that? Why did they do that? So you don't get sick. So you don't get sick and... So you can stay warm. And so you can stay warm. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. In South Dakota, there are some towns where there are not many jobs for the people to, to work at because it's just so cold, they can't get out. And a lot of the parents don't have money to buy their children those warm coats and jackets and caps and gloves and boots. And so you know what happens? Churches from other areas in that state will buy them for them. They have taken up money and will help those parents give those children nice warm coats and boots and gloves and even warm blankets to have at night because not everybody's home is as warm as most of our homes. Some people right here in Greer don't have homes as warm as our homes. And some children right here in Greer don't have jackets and shoes and gloves and scarves like you do. When you're in the Sunday school class here and you put your money in Sunday school and when we take up collection here and we put money in the collection plates, most of it goes to keeping these nice, warm building so beautiful so that we can come each Sunday and worship. And it goes for a lot of other things, but you know, also if there's a child in need or a grown person need, in need of a warm coat or some warm food or a warm blanket, you know where some of that money would go? Yes, to help buy them. Because God wants us to help each other. He wants the adults to help, but also he wants kids, children to help. And how do you do that? How do you help another child? Exactly right. We take up money here at church. You remember seeing the angel tree when you came into the sanctuary where children and some family members had asked for certain things? A lot of those things were clothes. A lot of the wishes for the, on the angel tree were clothes, warm clothes. So I want you to remember that, that when your mom tells you or your dad tells you to put on that warm jacket and gloves and your boots and you know that you're warm, you think about, it's going to give you a good feeling to know that you're helping some other child or some other person keep warm because we put money in the church in Sunday school and during the worship service. 
Now, there's one other way that your mom probably helps you to keep warm when you've been out playing in the cold snow or the cold weather. What is it? When you come inside, does she fix you anything? Hot chocolate, cocoa. So when you leave today, after we have our prayer, I'm going to give you a pack of hot chocolate and some real pretty different color marshmallows to go on top. And I'm going to give you a couple little peanut butter cookies to eat. So maybe Mom will give you that as a snack this afternoon, you think? All right, so wait until we finish the prayer, and then I want you to stay up and get that. Let's bow your heads and repeat after me, please. Dear God, thank you for warm clothes that I have to keep me warm. And thank you, God, for letting us help other people stay warm also. Amen. Ralph said he had a warm Christmas, which meant he got his usual lump of coal. I think what that meant. Oh, me. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 72 on page 795. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage together responsively. Give the king your justice, O God. May he judge your people with righteousness. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people 
and the hills in righteousness. May he live while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He saves the lives of the needy. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. And may they blossom forth in the cities like the grass of the field. Our epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became the servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here ends the lesson.
Let us unite our hearts for a time of prayer. Lord, we are excited when we hear how you have fulfilled prophecy in the birth of Christ time and time again. Those who had read the ancient prophetic words had to notice when some wonderful things began to happen. We are grateful that some wise men from the East came and so shook things up in Jerusalem that even King Herod had to stop to seek the wisdom of Scripture to find out what it was that had been predicted regarding the coming of the Christ. We're thankful that you're able to send even foreigners to us in our day to shake us up, to cause us to return to the book of books, to study your word, and to seek guidance as we're reminded of your presence in our lives through the words of that good book. We're thankful, too, that these foreigners, these magi, were faithful to what they felt was their calling to come to worship Christ. And we find in them an example for us, for we, too, come from our various places, some from some distance, to gather and worship Christ in this house of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that the lessons of the wise men might be the lessons we remember as well, that the journey to find Christ is worth every mile, every bit of work, every sacrifice, every dream, that we might come into the presence of Christ and hear of the Father's love for us and to hear of the Father's desire to redeem all of humanity from our sins and to be reminded that we have one that we look to as our king, as our ruler and leader. And even though his kingdom is not of this world, we recognize our ultimate loyalty always to the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords the King of heaven and the King of earth. And we know, Lord, that right now we live here among the kingdoms of this world. But a time is coming when we will assemble together before your throne. And the only kingdom that will matter to us then is the one that is ruled by Jesus, who gave his life for us. So may we be like those wise men, Lord, who remember this always. And we remember, too, the gifts of the Magi, those precious gifts that they gave in love and reverence for Christ. And we pray that we would always be inspired to live our lives as gifts to the Christ child, that every day might be a day to express thanks and gratitude to the King, and that when we give of our worldly possessions to the Christ, we might have the same joy that was evident in the lives of the Magi 
as they gave their best gifts to the King of kings and Lord of lords. In the name of Christ, we pray, as he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here ends the lesson. Ever since the church discovered a few years back that we could come up with product slogans, just like big Wall Street companies do, we've been treated to numerous bumper stickers at billboards from places along the highway. And this time of year, we see those that remind us that wise men and wise women still seek him. The arrival of the wise men that we celebrate on the day of Epiphany, January 6th, marks the 12th day of Christmas, I guess complete with 12 drummers drumming. For, for people in some countries, Epiphany is the day that presents are exchanged among family and friends to help people remem remember that it was after the Magi arrived that they presented the first Christmas gifts to the Christ child. Just who were those wise men? Well, we have an aunt up in the hills of Virginia who has that wonderful Virginia mountain brogue who says to us that she's always believed that the wise men were firemen because it says that they came from afar. Well, to answer the question, we must first deal with some misconceptions that we have about the wise men. The first misconception is that they were kings. We three kings of Orient are, we sing every year. But the idea that they were royalty comes to us from a later church tradition. Since Jesus was a descendant of King David and destined to be king of kings, it would be fitting for a king to be visited by royal dignitaries from some distance away who come to pay him homage. But the Bible itself does not call them kings. 
It calls them wise men, magi. We usually picture three of them because there were three gifts. But there were some other ancient traditions that said that there were 12 in all who made that long journey. We don't know their names either, at least not from any biblical source. Names were added later by church tradition. Another misconception is that the wise men visited Jesus on the night of his birth while he was still lying in a manger in the stable. I think that's a necessary misconception because it sure does come in handy when we're having our children reenact the story of the birth of Jesus. But Matthew says that the Magi found Jesus and his mother Mary in a house. I rather suspect that Jesus spent only one night in a stable. Surely Joseph would have found better accommodations among his kinfolk the next night. The wise men told King Herod that the star had appeared in the sky two years before they made their visit to, uh, to the Holy Land. And so Jesus could have been as old as two years of age when the wise men found him in a house in Bethlehem. I suppose it would just be too much for us to try to adjust our nativity scenes to allow for a transition for the Holy Family to move from the stable to a house uh, and for the passing of two years perhaps uh, would be difficult to manage as well. <clears throat> but you do need to be aware of this nevertheless. Still the question remains, who were these men and what made them so wise? They most likely were Zoroastrian priests from Persia, which is modern day Iran. The founder of their faith was Zarathustra, and he believed in one God who was holy and good always. And he also believed in the evil one who was opposed to all the good things that God wanted to do. The evil one was the author of all the problems on the planet, Zarathustra taught. And so when the Hebrews met this group, which would have been several hundred years before the birth of Christ, when they were carried off in captivity into Assyria, the Hebrews and the Zoroastrians exchanged ideas because of the similarity of their beliefs. The Hebrews came back from their 70-year captivity with a much more uh, defined belief in an evil one and demons as the cause of all evil. These were emphases that had previously not been that prominent in Judaism, but suddenly they became very important. The Zoroastrians, in turn, heard about the Hebrews' hopes for the coming of a great king like David, the Messiah. So these Magi were Zoroastrian priests <coughs> whose forebears had probably heard about the promised Messiah. They looked into the night skies looking for signs of his coming and they came to find him when they saw a star appear in the east. You see, they were also scientists and it was their science and not their faith that gave them the sign that they were looking for. This truth came to them from the realm of science for they were students of the stars.
Now, I hope that nobody today takes astrology very seriously. Uh, you can still read in the paper every day what's supposed to happen to you depending on when you're born. People ask me what sign I was born under and I said, I think it said Spartanburg General Hospital or perhaps Waffle House, I'm not sure which. But astronomy is the science of our day that is searching the stars for, for understanding of what this universe is all about. The Zoroastrians were scientists of their day, but their study was called astrology, as they studied the stars for clues to life's meaning. They were students of nature as well, and they were skilled in science, but they also were holy men, priests. Somehow they managed to blend together the two disciplines of science and religion. And that's something we don't do too well today. Bishop Roy Clark, who was our bishop back in the 80s, stated that we could well learn some lessons from the wise men. He said that it seems to us that very often science and religion are pitted against each other and we're forced to choose one or the other, but not both. We see this often in our day as schools debate how they're going to teach biology, whether it's going to be evolution or creationism. And when we debate things like stem cell use and research, Bishop Clark said that faith and scientific inquiry can and should coexist for us as it did for the wise men. We can be faithful to God while we're being faithful in our search for knowledge. These magi were students of the stars. Whenever a new star appeared, it was their science that pointed that out to them, but it was their faith that gave them meaning as to what that might mean. They believed that it signified the birth of a world leader. So when the Christmas star appeared, they remembered the prophecy, a star shall come forth in the house of Judah. And they set out to find this new king. Do you see how they blended together their science and their religion? Science gave them insight that something unusual had happened and faith helped them find the meaning of that unusual happening. Science still tries to tell us how the world came into existence but it is always faith that tells us who did the creating and why we were created. Someone once asked the inventor of the telegraph, Samuel Morse, if he'd ever come to a complete standstill not knowing what he was to do next in his experiments. Morse said that this happened on several occasions and when it did, he would pray. He would ask God for more insight Morse added, that's why I never felt that I deserved the honors that came to me from America and Europe because of the invention associated with my name. I had made a valuable application of the use of electrical power, but it was all through God's help. It wasn't because I was superior to other scientists. When the Lord wanted to bestow this gift on mankind, he had to use someone. I'm just grateful he chose to reveal it to me. In view of that sentiment, 
it's not surprising that Morse's first message sent by telegraph was what God hath wrought. As students of both science and religion, the wise men are symbolic of the fact that all who seek God will find God, and the true wisdom is to be found in Christ. They may not have been all that wise in some people's eyes. After all, they lit out after a star, having to travel at night often, and they traveled for months, if not years, just to deliver a bunch of presents to a baby. But they were wise, indeed, because they found the only thing in life worth finding, and that is faith through Jesus Christ. The wise men also were those whose gifts had an eerie sense of prophetic foreboding about the work of Christ. It is not likely that they had these symbolic meanings in mind when they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were just valuable commodities in those days, useful in bartering for food and other necessities. When it became apparent to Joseph that he would have to leave for Egypt to take his family to safety, I can imagine that Joseph was glad to have these commodities that he could trade for provisions for the journey. But looking back from our point of view, it's hard not to see symbolism in those gifts. Gold is a gift that is fitting for a king. Frankincense is used by priests in the worship of God. Myrrh is burial ointment. Jesus is our leader, our king. He performed the priestly duty of making an offering on behalf of God's people. He died and was buried for us and he rose victorious over sin and death. The gifts of the Magi seem to symbolize all of these things that Christ did for us. Someone has also said that it's a very unfortunate thing that the visitors from the East were not three wise women. If they had been wise women, they would have gotten there on time because they would have stopped to ask for directions. And they would have brought some useful gifts like baby food and diapers instead of the things they did bring. But the gifts of the Magi were also very, the very best things that they had to give. They didn't give their leftovers. They gave their best. I wonder if you and I give God our best or just our energies that are left over. The gift of gold can represent the gifts we give to God that have been earned by our livelihood. They didn't just give copper or silver, they gave gold generously from what they had earned. I have a minister friend who says that he loves to listen when the offering plate is passed and he listens to see where there's any noise or where there's silent. He says he likes silent offerings much more because that usually means they're bills instead of coins. Do we give God our leftovers or the best of our incomes. You know, our vocations are made more meaningful to us. Even the dullest of our vocations become more meaningful when we can say to God, Lord, because of your blessings to me to help me earn an income, I now give this to your work. 
We're blessed and find meaning in our most meaningless task that way. Frankincense was used in worship and can represent our inner treasure of thought and influence. Have we dedicated our inner treasures to the Lord, asking him to be the Lord of our thoughts and attitudes? And are we humbly, lovingly, and consistently using our power of personal influence for the kingdom of God? The gift of myrrh, which was an embalming ointment, could represent our sorrows, our sufferings, our disappointments. George Buttrick said that this bitter gift of our sorrows is the hardest thing that we ever give to Christ. He said that the reason that sorrow hardens one person and mellows another is that the first person keeps his sorrow to himself while the other offers it to Christ to be used by the Lord. Have you given your sorrows, your suffering, your disappointments to Christ as an offering, asking him to use those hurts for his glory and to bring you healing? Who were those wise men and what made them so wise? They were servants of God who blended together faith and science, who knew that Jesus was given for the whole world and not just the people of his race, that Jesus was for Jew and Gentile. They were those who risked everything to find Jesus and who gave their very best to the Lord. May you and I all be magi. Amen.